So this week, we're kind of um, rounding out, before we head into our like Easter focus, we're, we're rounding out the series that we've been in according to the Gospels um, by looking at one more thing that Jesus talked about. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You know, I've had it a couple of times. You know, you're heading towards a conversation with someone. could be a family. It's always awkward when it's a family member. It could be a friend. You know, one of those conversations where it could go one of two ways. depends really on the mood of the person. They might hear what you say and hear your heart in it and know that actually you're saying it because you really care about them and that, that haircut really doesn't suit them. Or they will get really irritated at you, annoyed at you, shout back at you, and you not speak for the next 10 years. You know one of those conversations? I feel a wee bit like that this morning, right? Because what we're going to talk about today can sometimes be a wee bit of a touchy subject because we're going to talk about money. And you know what? It can be a touchy subject for all sorts of reasons, not least because the church does have a terrible reputation around how we are about money. But the truth is that Jesus talked about money, talked about money quite a lot, actually, and we're going to look at something that he says about money. So here's what I'm going to ask us all to do today, regardless of how you feel about when money comes up in church, right? Let's just set it all down and forget about anything that we've ever heard before, and let's just take a moment today and hear what Jesus has to say in Luke chapter 16. We're pretty much going to stick to Luke 16, but I want to read the, the verses that we're going to concentrate on. I'm just going to read them as a bunch, so they're not going to come up on the screen. I'm just going to read them, and then we'll go through them bit by bit. He says in Luke 16, chapter 10, or Luke 16, verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. In those verses, particularly from verse 13 onwards, Jesus sets out two opposing allegiances. His language is incredibly strong. And I went back into looking at what the actual Greek words are that are translated here. And it doesn't get any better if you read it in Greek. It's still really, really, really strong language. This idea that we will, we can't serve two masters. You will either hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. Or as he says to the Pharisees, what people, what people value highly is detestable in the sight of God. You can't serve two masters. We cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus sets out two things there. He sets out two opposing allegiances, God and money, and he sets out money as something that we can serve in the same way as we serve God, something that can be our master in the same way as God should be our master. And the question is, what do we think about that? 
what do we think about the idea that money can be our master? Because I think sometimes we see that idea of money and kind of being devoted to it or giving our allegiance to it as a rich person's problem. You know, oh, well, that's like people who make loads of money and then they're just always looking to make more money and, you know, that's, it's their problem. But Jesus doesn't say that. He puts it forward as a human problem. This is true about any human being. Anyone can, be, can experience that. How we handle our money is a clear indicator of who or what actually has our heart, has our allegiance. Who is it that we are faithful to? Am I wholeheartedly choosing to live for God? We sang about that this morning. Does he have my whole heart, my passion, my devotion? Or actually are my loyalties divided? Am I saying yes to God, a wholehearted yes, absolutely, definitely, until he goes near my money or my possessions? And then that yes becomes slightly weaker. I want us today to just look at these words of Jesus. Um, I'm I'm going to pull out three principles. I'm saying I'm pulling out three principles, okay? I try to do that because it helps me to find my way through my message, all right, so that I don't ramble and keep you here for three hours. The truth is these are all kind of interconnected, so it's maybe not going to feel like three separate points. Don't worry about it. It will help me. It may not help you, okay? Um, We're going to go through that, and there's also two parables. There's a parable that Jesus tells right at the start of Luke 16 and a parable right at the end of Luke 16 that we're going to kind of weave in a little bit to help us see what it is that Jesus is saying. When he, when he kind of gives this little block of teaching about the fact. And we're, we're familiar, I think, with that phrase that we can't serve God in money. But what is it that Jesus really means when he's talking about that? So the start of it is verses 10 to 12. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Whatever you do with a little amount of money, you will do the same thing if you have a lot of money. That's just a fact. If you're someone who is generous and kind-hearted whenever you've got a little amount of money, you will be the same when you have a lot of money. If currently you only have a little amount of money and your constant thought in your head is, well, I can't be generous because I've only got this amount of money, trust me, if somebody deposited a million pounds in your bank account tomorrow, it wouldn't make you more generous. And I think sometimes we think that it will. The truth is that giving is actually a human desire. Think about it. Have you ever been in that position when a very small child with very dirty fingers wants to share their sweetie? I share. That's lovely, sweetheart. I don't actually want it, but that's a lovely thought. Why do they do it? Because it's that response of generosity that they want to share what they have. Just that one sticky sweet. We were... um, Prior to COVID, I was about to say a couple of years ago, but it's actually like almost four years ago, we were in um, Uganda on an Abana team going to visit um, both the school that as a church we are supporting in Teku. And we also had the opportunity um, 
John, our daughter Judy, and I, we had the opportunity to go to the home of the boy that we sponsor, Martin. And um, I can't describe how differently they live. Um, I'm, I used to be a primary school teacher. And I can, I can promise you, you wouldn't get a primary school teacher in Northern Ireland to be prepared to do what some of those teachers do in that school in Teku. Um, but to go to Martin's home and to be invited in and see what they have in comparison to what I have and to then be given by them a gift. Now, it was a live rooster, so there was a little bit of a moment, I'm just going to say, <laughs> Right? I had been well warned, I don't like birds. I'm just going to put it out there. They're a bit freaky with their wings and all the rest of it. And I had been well warned to not have any expression other than gratitude on my face. And trust me, in my heart, there was gratitude. I hope it was on my face. There was probably a little bit of trepidation as I had to take Ronald the rooster, which is what we named him. Shouldn't have named him because he went through the cooking pot eventually. But, you know, not thinking about that. Um, As I took Ronald in my hands, they had very little. But the generosity wasn't linked to how much they had. The generosity was in their hearts. You see, amount does not matter. What we do with a very little amount, we will do with a whole lot. That's what Jesus is saying. Generosity can be cultivated. Absolutely, we can cultivate generosity in our hearts. But it will cost us. And that may seem like a really obvious statement. Well, of course it will, Debbie, because you're going to give away money. That's not what I'm talking about. You see, if I tie my identity, my worth, my prestige, my status, my everything else to what I have in my bank account, then it will cost me that to be willing to give it away. But Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Then he says in verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And Jesus is warning us that we, you know, if we want to be wholehearted toward God, it is going to require us to be wise in how we handle money or wealth. You see, I want to be really, really clear. Having money is not the issue at all. Being wealthy is not the issue. Having a million or million plus pounds in the bank is not sin. Being unwise with what we have, putting our dependence in money, that's what, where the problem lies. And earlier on in chapter 16, Jesus tells the story of, um, in the NIV, which is what I'm reading today, it's called a manager. Actually, a better term is the word steward, right? So um, he's called the shrewd steward. And Jesus tells this story about a, a wealthy man who discovers that his steward has been cheating him. And so he tells him that he's going to fire him. And this guy is like, well... I can't dig holes, I can't dig ditches, and I'm way too proud to beg, so I need to figure out something that is going to help me to survive whenever I don't have a job. So what he does is he calls in his, the people who owe a debt to his master, and he tells them to essentially wipe out, out some of their debt. So instead of owing 
100 pounds, he tells them to just put, make it that they only owe 50 or whatever. He's doing them favors so that whenever he loses his job, they will be nice to him. That's how he decides to plan for his future. And when the master finds out about it, it's this really weird situation where them, although the master presumably is still going to fire him, but what he says is, actually, he's really smart about how he handled that. And then Jesus says this really strange thing. Um, in verse, verse 8, it says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, this is Jesus, I tell you, use words to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And it just sounds a little bit like Jesus is saying, use your money to buy your way into heaven. Which we don't think he is because that's not what the message of the Bible is. So let's go with Jesus knows what he's talking about. That's not what he's suggesting. But what he is suggesting is, or not suggesting, he's telling us. Where this guy was wise was he figured out how to invest, not actually his money, his master's money, in other people for future good. And Jesus is saying to us, are we investing our wealth, if you like, in the kingdom of God? Or are we investing it simply in this world and making sure that everything that we can possibly have in this world, we, we get that the life that we're living here and now is the best that it can possibly be with all of that we could possibly want? Or are we choosing to use what we have to look after those who we are responsible to and to bless others that we have the opportunity to bless? Do I make the assumption that everything that comes to me is only for me? Or do I understand that God can choose to bless me so that I, in turn, will choose to bless other people? You see, this guy, I'm saying that a better translation of the word rather than manager is the word steward because that's what he was. This was very, very common in the first century. In fact, it was common for centuries after that where wealthy men would put other men in charge of their estates so that they didn't have to do any work the steward did not own anything that he was managing. It all belonged to his master. His job was simply to look after it. And the reality that as, a, as someone living in the kingdom of God, the reality that I need to grasp is what I have, I do not own. It's been given to me by God and he calls me to steward it. Not to hoard it. Not to desperately grasp what I have because when I do that, I'm acting as though I'm not in his kingdom because I'm acting as though I have to do it all for myself when in actual fact, God is saying, you're living in my kingdom. I am the master. I will look after you. Here's what I've given you now. Would you go and steward that well? Use it wisely. Tithing is one of the ways that we can train our hearts to that. And I'm only going to mention that because the reality is when I choose to give back to God one-tenth of what I earn, I am training my heart to not be dependent on my pay packet for my security, but to be dependent on God. 
And I'm constantly reminding myself that what I have is not mine. It's his. And if he chooses to share it with me, he can share it with me. And if he chooses to share it with someone else, that's okay too. And I can trust him because he is my father and I live in his kingdom. That's the message that Jesus is trying to teach us. And then in verse 14, it says, the Pharisees who loved money and were sneering at Jesus, he said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. This idea of worldly wealth or what society thinks matters so much, that is not what matters in the kingdom. He's already alluded to it in verse 11 when he said, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? This idea that actually what the world says is valuable is not what God says is valuable. And right at the end of of chapter 16, he tells another parable. Um, In verse 19, he says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Now, there's a whole lot in this. That's just the start of the parable. There's a whole lot in this parable that we're not going to get into, and we're not going to get into where Hades is or what it is. So just set that one down for today, okay? Because that's not the point of this first part of the story. And in actual fact, this parable that Jesus tells, it has a common theme that was common in the first century. This idea that, you know, those who were of high stature in the world, that that was flipped whenever they stepped into um, eternity, that um, they were no longer of high stature. And you can see, like, look at the difference between um, Lazarus and the rich man whose gate he lived at. When it says, when Lazarus dies, the angels come and take him and carry him to Abraham's side. And then it says, the rich man died and was buried. Like, that's quite mundane. I want angels coming and carrying me. Like, that's amazing, right? What's Jesus saying? Who was it that would have had all of the status during his lifetime? Who was it that the Pharisees would have looked at and thought was like totally right there, blessed by God, God's favor was on him and everything else? It was the rich man, not the beggar who lived by his gate. But when the time came, it was the beggar who was carried to Abraham's side, not the rich man. Because what is viewed as highly valuable in the world's eyes is not necessarily what God views And so the question then that I was thinking about and wrestling with as as I was considering just this whole idea of the difference between worldly wealth and true riches, you know, am I seeking God's kingdom? Or am I just seeking a kingdom in this world as good as I can possibly make it? How, How loosely, genuinely how loosely, Do I hold what I own? Do I really think I'm a steward of it or do I actually think I own it? That it is actually mine? 
Am I willing to use what I have to serve God, to bless others, to glorify God? Be that, you know, my house, my car, I don't know, my whatever talents I have, are we willing to use those and offer them to God? Here's the question that, that dawned on me when I was sitting in the coffee house on Friday, um, finishing this off. The question dawned on me, do I even ask God, what do you want me to do with what I have? Or do I just assume I know? What has my heart? What has our hearts? I think that's the question that Jesus is asking in this whole chapter. What is it that has our heart? If the band want to come up, come on ahead. See, I don't think ultimately this whole, although Jesus is talking about money, I don't think that's necessarily, you know, the full point. Because I think it's about our hearts. It's about how faithful are we to God? How faithful are we to the way of life that he has called us to live? How faithful are we to the call of the kingdom? The kingdom that he gave his life so that we could step into it. You see, if I choose to see my whatever wealth I have, be it, be it a small amount or be it a huge amount, if I choose to see that as something that actually God simply does not get access to, He doesn't get to talk to me about that. I worked really hard to earn that. That's mine. If that's my attitude, then guess what has my heart? Even if it, you know, I'll go a certain distance and then after that it's like, oh, no, no, no. What has my heart? We've been all through this series. We have been looking at Jesus. We've been wanting to know him. We've been seeking him listening to what he has to say to us. What has our hearts? Are we gripped with the reality of the one who we are going to think about over these next couple of weeks, the one who came and gave his life on the cross? Are we gripped by him? Is it him that we are longing to see? actually are we just you know we don't actually live like that's a reality what has my heart what is it that I am faithful to what is it that I am looking to for satisfaction for true true deep satisfaction that just you know I'm right, I think we're going to sing the song Fountains. And it's that idea of the well that never runs dry. Is that what I find in Jesus? Is that what he offers us? But we have to be willing to give him it all. Give him it all. And that can feel really scary. But I was having a conversation right before the service started this morning with David and Barbara Craig about the reality that when we choose to give it all to God he is faithful with what we give him and we can trust him to be our God to be our Father
I don't know. I don't know what it is you want to do in us today. But would you stir our hearts? Would you speak to us about what it is that is actually gripping our heart? It may not be money, but it may be something else. Father, would you open our eyes to what has our heart? Father, would you give us a fresh vision of Jesus? A fresh vision of who he is that would dim out everything else around us and draw our focus directly to him.